0: Hopefully, you guys enjoyed seeing some of those pictures uh, from our date night challenge. How many of you guys have had a chance to go on your date night challenge? Excellent. Be sure, uh, if you have gone on your date night challenge, that you take a picture and that you leave it in the comment section for our weekly date night. Last week was the play date. This your last day. You can still go on your play date. This week is our laugh date, so we're going to see couples going out laughing together. I can't wait to see what kind of pictures we get from that. I just want to remind you, we do have a drawing that for all the couples that do four weeks worth of the Date Night Challenge, you're going to be putting a drawing. You're going to have a special giveaway for you. And for those of you who aren't married, uh, uh, we have a special drawing for you as backup singers, those who come around and support marriages uh, and show your support for marriage in a special way. We already had one back here uh, earlier this week, so we got something special for you guys as well. We are in the middle of a uh, marriage series, and the series is based on Hebrews 13.4 that says marriage is to be honored by all, is what it says in the first part. Marriage is to be honored by all. And so how do we do that? How do we begin to all honor marriage? And last week, we looked at Proverbs 23.4 that says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And we said that in my house, we call this, we call our heart the love jug, right? This is the love jug, and it represents my heart. And I am 100% responsible for my heart and making sure that it is full of God and His Word. Because out of the overflow of my heart, I'm going to begin to pour into other people. And so when it comes to our marriage, we've got to make sure that our love jug is full. And some of you guys began asking the question, well, how do we make sure... That we keep our love jug full as a couple, as a, as a family. How do we do that? And this morning, we're going to get some uh, three really practical ways that you can keep your love jug full and really continue to work on your marriage. In fact, we're going to be in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1. If you want to be there, uh, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to talk about three necessary delays that we're going to see throughout the book of the Song of Solomon. Three necessary getaways that we have uh, as a couple, that are going to allow us to maintain our love jug. Because part of the key to keeping your love jug full is recognizing that you need margin in your life. And, and what is margin? Margin, uh, we said in a series earlier this year, is the difference between what I have and, and what I need, right? The, the maximum and, and uh, what I actually have. It's the difference between your load and your limit. And so we've got to make sure if we're going to maintain our love at a healthy level, we've got to make sure that when our load starts to hit our limit, that we pull back and say, you know what, if I start to engage someone right now, I am not in a healthy place to do that. And so I need to pull back, I need some margin in my life, or else my load is going to hit my limit, and when my limit is full, then it's not going to be good for anybody. And so we've got to learn how how we can maintain that, how we can keep a watch on that. And we all have limits. We have spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, and financial limits. And we've got to be on guard. We've got to understand what those are. And really, as Americans, this is something that we're not very good at. And it's something that I'm learning to do. Uh, Something that that I've started to do, I learned this from another pastor, and it's something that I'm really trying to implement in my life, is when... uh, when somebody comes to me and says, hey, uh, do, you, do you have time to talk? And I'm just learning to say, you know what, I don't. And they'll say, oh, oh, you've got something on going on? And, and I'll say, uh, no, actually, I don't. And that, that blows their mind because they're like, well, you don't have anything going on. You should be able to talk. And someone will come to me and say, well, pastor, are you busy? And I'll say, no, no, I'm not busy, actually. You caught me at a good time. And then they'll start to talk to me. And I'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. I just told you I'm not busy. You see, if you start to talk to me, then I'll be busy. And right now, I don't want to be busy. And that, that's just so uh, contradiction. It's a contradiction to how we think as Americans, because we see someone who's not busy, and we think it's our job to make them busy. When your kid says, I'm bored, which are words that are never spoken in the Turner house, because if you're bored, that means you get to wipe baseboards, right? We'll find something for you to do. Uh, but sometimes we need to recognize that it's okay to not be busy. Especially when it comes to our marriage. And as we begin to look at the Song of Solomon, we're going to see these necessary delays. And uh, Amanda and I, as I mentioned, a lot of this material comes from uh, a marriage uh, pastor's retreat that we got to go on and hear from a marriage expert. Um, Anybody that comes from over 200 miles away is an expert, by the way. Uh, If they come from the same town, they're just a specialist. But expert. So this was an expert. They brought him in from out of town, and he shared uh, some things with us about marriage. And one of the things that he said was that if you're going to survive in life, if you're going to survive your family, you're going to survive in marriage, you have to guard with tenacity three delays. There's the daily delay, 15 to 20 minutes, where you're just with your spouse. You're unplugged. You're not looking at Facebook. You're not watching the TV. You're just talking and engaging in conversation. There's the weekly withdrawal. This is your date night. You leave your phone in the car, you relax, you have a good time. Uh, And then there's the annual abandon. And he says this is the one where lots of couples don't prioritize this, uh, but this is just a night or two where you get away, no kids, and you just enjoy one another. You just have some time away. And so we're going to see all three of these in the Song of Solomon. And I want us to start in Song of Solomon, chapter 1 just to kind of give you a big overview of this book. Chapter one, they're dating. Chapter two, they're engaged. Chapter three is the wedding. Chapter four is the honeymoon. And then from there, it kind of follows their marriage journey. So we're going to look at Song of Solomon, chapter one, beginning in verse 12. While the king is on his couch, my perfume releases its fragrance. My love is a sachet of myrrh to me, spending, spending the night between my breasts. And my love is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyards of Engedi. So, what she's describing here is women of those days uh, to, to, to make themselves smell good. They would just rest with a little pouch of perfume or a little pouch of flowers resting right here uh, in their breast at night so that it would begin to uh, permeate them. And she says, This is what Solomon is to me. Like, she, like I, I can just, he, he permeates my thoughts. I can't stop thinking about him. That's what she says about him. And then she goes on and says, uh, My love is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyard of Engedi, which was kind of a desert retreat. It was this beautiful oasis where people would get away. How beautiful you are, my darling. This is what he says. How very beautiful your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my love. How delightful delightful our bed is lush with foliage and then verse 17 the beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are cypress so she's beginning to dream about the day that they're married and they begin building their house together and she says our house our house the beams of our house are cedars and the rafters are cypress it's a she's using an image to say that our house is going to be a place of safety and security and it's going to be a retreat it's going to be a place where we get away from the things of this world. Home ought to be a safe place. The idea is that our home is an En uh, It's a place of rest, of refreshment and rejuvenation. It's a place where, where we're safe, where we can unplug from the world and we can enjoy one another. Uh, and, and I know some of us are, are sitting there and we're thinking, yeah, my house is not an En Some of you are thinking, and parents, you're not a bad parent if you've ever had to psych yourself up to go home, right? You're not a bad parent if you've ever sat in the driveway and called a friend and said, give me one good reason why I should go in there. And it's like, because your family's in there, man. Like, that's why you should go in there. But especially dads, right? The modern-day parenting, you spend all day at work, and then you come home, and you're expected to be the entertainer for two hours. Here's the kids. Take them and entertain them while I finish dinner. And you're like, man, I just want, like, 20 minutes to sit back and relax. Uh, and, and so we have this idea that everybody in my house is crazy. It's not an En Gedi. These people are insane. Like, you have no idea. And so how do we begin to build that? How do we begin to make our home this safe place? How do we begin to make our home a judgment-free zone where we're treated? Uh, uh, we get treated poorly enough in the world. We're treated poorly enough in the world. We need to make sure that our home is a safe place and that our kids enjoy that. And this is the one, the daily delay is one that, that I love because there should be a time where it's just you and your spouse, but your home as an ingedi, as a place of rest, should really include your children as well. And I mentioned last week that this is something that's very near and dear to our heart. Amanda and I strive for seven nights a week to have dinner with our family. Friday night, the kids know I pick them up from school. I try to finish all my work early. I do whatever I have to do. I get up at 5 o'clock. I get up at 4.30 to finish my work by 3 o'clock so that I can pick them up from school. And family night begins. And we have fun. We do different things. Um, but this is a priority for us to sit around our dinner table and to slow down for just a few moments. We have a little devotional that we go through every night. And the kids bring the devotional book. And they're like, Dad, don't forget we've got to do this tonight. They get excited about it because they know that this is a safe place for them, and we want that. It's a, uh, it's a place where, where we should have uh, tech-free time, right? We should take our phones, our iPads, our, phone, our, our computers, put them in a the drawer. If you call me from about 5 o'clock until about 7.30 when the kids go to bed, I'm probably not going to answer. Probably not going to answer, unless something big's going on. Um, but even then, I, I've said Saturday is my Sabbath, so if you die on a Saturday... I'll, I'll be there on a Sunday, right, uh, the next day. But Saturday is my day with my family. That's when I spend with them, and I don't let anything interrupt that. And we need to start creating this idea that our family time is valuable. Um, and there's some, some things that we've done in our home to do that. Um, some people call it a family constitution, but we have created in our family a coat of arms. And we have the Turner coat of arms. My wife and I got away. We had what we call a weekend to get it, uh, a getaway to get it together where we sat down and we focused on our marriage and then we had um, times that were just unscheduled where we didn't have anything planned and we just went for a walk and just had fun. And then we had times where we said, all right, where do we need to take our family over the next year? And this was one of the things that came out of that was this Turner coat of arms. And front and center, you will see love of God. Love of God, and that comes from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. These commandments and statutes which I give you today are to be on your heart, which we talked about last week. It's got to be on your heart before you can, verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you get up and when you lie down, right? They're to be on your doorposts. And so we have these verses, and we have said that for us as a family, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is a priority for us. This means that we're having those daily devotional times with our kids, but that's not the only time we talk about things. Uh, This coat of arms, one of the reasons we came up with this is because we wanted a way to talk to our kids about the things of God throughout the day, throughout uh, as we go throughout our life. And so as we're going around town and we see something, we can say, hey, kids, did you see that? Now, what do we believe as a family? And they can, they can talk to us about what we believe as a family and about how does that line up with the word of God, what you just saw, what you just heard. And, hey, look at that rainbow that God blessed us with, and we're talking about these things on a regular basis. And so we've made this a priority for us as a family. It's one of the things that we do at, at mealtimes. Um, we also we do, uh, we do special times of prayer. We pray with our kids, not just at mealtimes. We pray with them before bed. We pray with them uh, on the way to school in the car ride. That's a great place to pray with them. And we also have times where we just say, all right, kids, come together and let's pray. The 1002 alarm, our two-year-old, Evie, she knows when that alarm goes off. Anytime my wife's phone rings, she's like, it's time to pray for the harvest and laborers. It's like, no, that's actually a phone call. Um, but she, she knows that it's time to pray, and she'll stop, and she'll pray for the harvest and for the laborers. And so this is something that we've built into our family. Uh, When I was a youth pastor, a lot of times parents would say, you know, the number one thing I want for my kid is I want them to grow up and stay connected to the church. I want them to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the church. But then you start talking to the parents and you ask them about, well, tell me about your church experience. Where do you go to church? Well, you know, we, we go to this church sometimes when it's more convenient, but other times we go to this church and occasionally we just go to this church, whichever one fits our schedule best that weekend. And you ask them, well, where are you serving? Well, we're not really serving because we just don't have time right now, and it's kind of busy, and, you know, we'd give to the church, but, gosh, that, you know, that's just one more thing, and, and they've got sports going on, so it costs a lot of money. And, and so you start talking with these parents, and you, you find out the reason your teenager's not interested in going to church, the reason your kid's not excited about going to church is because you're not. How can you expect your kids to be excited about something that you're not excited about? So if we want our kids to grow up with this love of God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, then it's something, I love verse 6. It says, impress these truths on your heart. It's got to be there first. It's got to be there first. I I don't have time to walk through all these other ones, but we have humility. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is a great one that talks about that. As a kid, uh, we've uh, got to impress on our kids that we've got to ask for forgiveness. We've got to be willing to accept discipline. And not repeat our mistakes. And I love what Philippians two, uh, verses four and five. It says, "Consider others. Don't don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Consider others better than yourselves." So teaching our kids when they're young to to take that to heart. Respect. First Peter two seventeen is a great verse for this. We teach our kids that you will obey mommy and daddy the first time with a happy heart. Respect for authority begins in the home. Uh, dating couples. Let me talk to you guys if you're single, dating. Uh, I know you think it's, it's kind of cute, his little bad boy side, uh, when he doesn't respect his parents. But let me tell you, if he hasn't learned to respect his parents, it's going to be really hard for him to keep a job later down the road. Right? It's going to be really hard because respect for authority begins at home. So we teach them to respect authority. We teach them to respect one another. In fact, one of the things that we've started as a family, to teach them respect for one another, is something that we call an honor list. And uh, this is something that we don't allow name-calling in our home. We don't allow people to, to talk badly about each other in our home. And this is something that we started recently that has been amazing. And our kids actually ask to do this from time to time. Each one of our family members has an honor list. And occasionally we pull these out, especially at birthdays and special events. We pull these out, and we go around the table. And when it's your turn, everyone says, why they love you. What they love about you. And so the first one on top here is my son, Bear. Uh, and I, I just said, Bear, I love your energy. Mom says, I love it when you snuggle with me. Malachi says, uh, I like that you are funny. Charlie says, I like that you play with me at recess at school. Evie says, he's funny. That's about, that's, she says that every time. She's two. Um, so everybody's funny. And then uh, Charlie came in. I love this. She came in the next day and said, can I write in Bear's uh, honor list? I want to write something on his list. And so they asked to do this on their own. And she said, I love how you play with me. And everybody has this. Why? Because we want the messages on their heart to be in line with God's word and positive. Because they're going to get enough of that negativity out in the world. So when they have a bad day, somebody at school makes fun of them. We pull this out and we say, what do we know to be true? What are the people who care about you most? What does God say about who you are? And so we pull those out and we start reading through them. At their birthday, we pull it out. With everybody there, if we're having a party, we pull it out and we read it. And we read honor. We speak words of high value over them to to teach them to respect one another. Uh, I, I don't have time to make it through all of these, but generosity, unconditional love, integrity, courage, and laughter. And laughter is important. As you're going to find out this week, as you go on your dates, laughter is important. And uh, I wish I had more time to get into those. If you're interested in this, feel free to steal this and use it. I'm sure I didn't create this on my own, but I encourage you, have something like this as a family where you're able to say, hey, this is what we are about. And when you have those dinner times, when you have that daily delay, when you're sitting there just talking, say, hey... uh, you know, this is what we're about as a family. I love this. People are taking pictures of the screen. You don't even have to write anymore, right? We don't even have to buy pens. You just, t- just take a picture of the screen. T- you got to take it, all right? So love that. The second one I want us to see. Uh, so we have the daily delay. And the second one is the weekly withdrawal. The weekly withdrawal, Sol- the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, two uh, beginning in verse 13. Uh, Beginning in verse one, it says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys, like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among the young women, like an apricot among the trees, the trees of the forest, so is my love among among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Now, what is she saying here? She's saying that Solomon is protection to me, that I can sit and slow down and be in his shade, that he's going to protect me, and while he's protecting me, I can reach up and, and have a little snack. He's protection and provision for me, and and this is my prayer: is that my two daughters, that that the day comes that it's time for me to hand them over to their husband, that I find a man who is who is their shade and their protection, uh, and is in the in provision for them. That's what I desire to be for my wife, and I let my daughters know right now: I am your protector, I am your provider. But the day's going to come when I'm going to hand you off to someone else. What I teach my boys is that you need to be this. You need to be a protector, provider. That's why Courage, one of those ones that was listed, um, we, we tell our boys, you do everything you can. When you see someone being made fun of, you always stand up for what is right, no matter the cost, and it's going to cost you at times. And we've told them, look, if, if you're standing up for yourself or someone else at school, you do everything you can to get away. But if you ever come home with a bloody nose or you ever have to give someone else a bloody nose, if you did everything you could to get away, but you were standing up for what was right, You may get in trouble at school, but your mommy and daddy will be proud of you. I know some of you are freaking out about that, but we want them to stand up for what's right no matter the cost. All right, So, we want them to be that protection, that provision. He says, he brought me into the banquet hall, and he looked at me with love, sustained me with raisins, refreshed me with apricots. I'm lovesick. She's Physically sick because she's so in love with Solomon. I love this. His left hand under my, ha- under my head, his right arm embraces me. Now, listen to this. This one's for the singles. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles of the wild and the, uh, and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Remember, they're not married. And so, what does she say? He's embracing me, he's holding me, but now is not the proper time. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. When's the proper time? We're in chapter 2. Chapter 3 is the wedding. After the wedding is the proper time to arouse or awaken love, right? So we're going to go on. It says, verse 8 Listen, my love is approaching. Look, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. He is standing behind our wall, gazing through our windows, peering through the lattice. My love calls to me. Now we hear this and we think, he's a peeping Tom. He's looking through the lattice. That's not it. What is she talking about? She's talking about anticipation. She says, I know he's coming to take me out on a date, and I can't wait to see him, and I know he's just as eager to see me. He's going to try to look through the windows to see if he can catch a glimpse of me before I come down the stairs and we go out on our date. This is why that, that weekly withdrawal is so important, that date night. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one, for now the winter is past, The rain is ended and gone. The blossoms appear in the courtyard. The time of singing has come. The turtle doves are cooing, is heard in the land. The fig tree ripens. The, blo- uh, the blossoming vi- vines give off their fragrance. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. So this weekly withdrawal, this is our date night. This is our date night. This is why we've done the date night challenge. And uh, we've given you four dates with 10 10 date ideas. Originally, we were going to do a cheap date, but we decided, hey, those of us on Dave Ramsey might need a cheap date every week. So we provided a couple of those for you, and uh, we hope that you'll take those, and take those 52 questions. Those are just conversation starters. That's not homework. That's just a way to, to get you talking, right? So the idea is that you would get away with your spouse once a week, and you would begin talking with them, that you would begin asking questions about your relationship, how you can improve and uh, I want to give guys a, a little, uh, a little help here, right? I want to teach you how to score points while you're napping, right? Because uh, guys and girls score points differently, right? Guys, uh, you, you, for guys, we wake up breathing. That's an automatic ten thousand points. Um, all right, but you go out and you bring home a rose for your wife. How many points do you get? You get one point, right? You bring home a dozen roses. How many get? How many points do you get? get one point. See, that's the trick. That's the trick. See, you get one point, but let me tell you how to score points while you nap. All right, you call your wife on Monday at work, and you say, on Thursday night, I'm going to pick you up. Here's where we're going to go, and here's what we're going to do. I've taken care of childcare. We're going to have a date night. You just scored a point. But Here's the thing. Every time she thinks about that date, you score a point. Every time she tells one of your friends about that date, you score a point. And so you're just racking up points. So if you ever walk into a room and she's looking at you and smiling at you, here's here's the worst thing uh, you can do is open your mouth. Right? So she's looking at you, she's smiling at you, she's anticipating this date, so you just back away slowly. Just like don't say anything and back away slowly because every time she thinks about it, you're gaining points and here's the thing, women never stop thinking, right? So you're just racking up points. This, it's this idea of anticipation that we can't wait to be with one another, that we would look forward to this time, that we would find things to do together. And there's actually a study from the University of Virginia, the National Marriage Project, and I know this is going to be a shocker, but they discovered that couple, couple quality time increases marital satisfaction and decreases the divorce rate. All right, so they came up with five keys to a good date. And let me give those to you quickly. I don't have these they are on the screen. All right. So you can just take a picture when we're done. All right. First one is communication. First one is communication. Now it's not uncommon, in fact it's very common for couples to say, "Hey, after we had kids, our marriage started to suffer." Why? Because everything you talk about is around the kids. And so you got to learn how to communicate about your marriage, about what's going on with you. So Having that time to communicate. This is not a time to catch up on household chores or the budget or life plans. You have to guard this time with tenacity. Tonight's all about laughing, having fun, doing something different. We're going to go out and we're just going to dream. We're going to have a dream date where you and your spouse just get to talk about what your dreams are and what you want to do when you retire, what you want to do when the kids leave. So we've got to have this time and guard that time with good communication. Number two, novelty. Novelty. What we find as couples is we fall into this thing called habituation. We do the same thing every week, turns into just a habit. It's just another thing to check off our list. So there's this idea of novelty. Try something new together. Do something that you did in high school that was legal. Uh, but do something that you did in high like go roller skating. Uh, you know, do something that, that you haven't, go to a concert. I love seeing uh, the couples that went, went on date nights this week. Some of them went to concerts. They, uh, they did fun things. So try something that's, that's novel. Uh, passion and attraction, right? Think, put some thought into what you're going to wear. Guys, take a shower, shave. Don't wear your, your River Rock t-shirt. As much as we'd love that, don't wear your River Rock t-shirt. Put a nice shirt on, right? Do something to say, hey, I still care. I, I, I want to be attractive to you, right? Uh, allow that physical desire to be increased. Here's the other thing is it signals commitment, When you go out on a date night, and this is one of the reasons why I love seeing it posted on Facebook, and we ask you to do that, is because it signals to your kids and to your family and to your friends that we are prioritizing our marriage, right? Uh, So when your kids come to you and say, mom, dad, I have a project due tomorrow. Uh, We got to get started tonight. And you say, ah, gosh, I'm sorry. Tonight's date night. Your father and I are going out. Good luck on that project, right? That lets them know that your kid is not the center of the household. Those of you that are going to be doing the parent child dedication, th- we do have a class that you have to go through to be a part of that and we're going to talk about the child centered or the Christ centered home instead of the child centered home. And a Christ centered home means that other than your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your marriage is the priority, not the kids. Right? When you leave them for 4 hours with a the babysitter, they start to pick up that mom and dad's relationship is the most important relationship in this house, not not us kids, right? So um, commitment. And then lastly, it's a time to de-stress. Time away. Uh, It it challenges, and and it's a time for us to enjoy one another and to just relax, to not think about what else we have going on at the home. So we've got to make sure that we have our weekly date nights. The last one that I want us to see comes from Song of Solomon, Chapter 7, and this is the annual abandon. This is the one that I think is hardest for most people to do, to take that time to get away. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Come, my love. They're married at this point, been married for a while. Come, my love. Let's go to the field. Let's spend the night among the henna blossoms. Let's go early to the vineyard. Let's see the vine that has budded. If the blossom is open, if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. What is she saying? She's saying, let's go away for the weekend And the whole purpose of us going away is for us to make love. Now, ladies, how many of you have ever caught yourself saying, Honey, you never take me anywhere nice. How come we never go anywhere? How come we never do anything? And that doesn't work. Think about how different it would be if you came to your husband and said, Honey, I want us to go away for the weekend. And the whole purpose for us going away is to make love. I bet the bags would be packed before you finish that sentence. (laughs) You would be out of town the next weekend. And, and you can say, look, the, the hotel that we stay in, the amenities don't matter because we're not going to leave the room. This weekend is just about me and you and connecting, right? It's a different mindset, and, and we've got to make sure that we have this. Amanda and I uh, have the last couple years, we started this about two years ago. We started our, our uh, weekend, our, our getaway to get it together, our annual abandon, and we, we enjoy these times. And it's something that, you know, there's two reasons why people say we can't have date night and we can't have our annual abandon. Who knows what those two reasons are? We've got kid, we've got kids, and because we have kids, we have no money, right? Uh, well, let me tell you that, that there is nothing better for your marriage than to prioritize these two things, I think, um, other than your relationship with Christ. But these two getaways, if you prioritize these, think about the impact that it'll have on your kids. Now, um, here's the great thing with kids. There's, there's a great word called grandparents. So you call the grandparents and say, hey, can you keep the kids next weekend? They want to see you. And usually they'll say yes. And if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, then there's always this idea of co-op. Hey, if you'll watch our kids this night, then next week we'll watch your kids this night. And we'll take turns providing the child care. Now, the other thing people say is, is money, right? I, we just don't have the money. And Dave Ramsey teaches you to pay cash for cars, right? He says, don't have a car payment, pay cash for cars. I drive a 17-year-old black Ford Ranger with 130,000-plus miles on it. Uh, My wife drives a paid-for minivan with 100-and-something-plus thousand miles on it. Why? So that we can go out of town and make love. Bet you never heard Dave Ramsey tell you that. We have made this a priority, and if you build this into your budget, if it's a priority to you, you will build this into your budget. You will build this into your schedule. It's very important. It's very important that we have this, that we have this time away. Um, in fact, I would argue that, that you can't afford not to do it. And I know you think money, money may be an issue or the kids may be an issue, um, and next week we're going to talk about how the little things begin to build to big things. Um, and let me just tell you, uh, I have two friends right now whose marriages are suffering and they're going through divorce. And I can tell you it's taking a larger toll on their kids and it's taking a larger toll on their finances than it would have had they been able to, to have these retreats built into their marriage, have these times, these getaways built into their marriage. Uh, one of the things we're going to put on our website, there's a Hebrew term for what we're talking about in this last passage here. Uh, anybody know the Hebrew term? Bow, bow, chicka, bow, bow, right? So <laughs> that's the Hebrew, I, look it up, that's the Hebrew term. Uh, and, and I know this conversation can be difficult at times. It makes us uncomfortable to talk about the marriage bed, Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is to be honored by all, the marriage bed kept pure. And it makes us a little bit uncomfortable to talk about sex. But here's the thing, here's, this is something that I'm very strong, and I believe strongly about this, that sex is not the devil's playground. He didn't invent it, he didn't create it, he doesn't get to own it. The world has their own ideas of what it should be, but God is the one who created it. God is the one who gives it to us as a gift, and he says, I want you to have this as a gift, but I'm going to put boundaries around it to keep you safe and to keep you protected. And that boundaries, those boundaries are a marriage between one man and one woman for life. And inside the confines of those boundaries, I want you to enjoy it. It's a beautiful thing. I, one question that I get a lot in marriage counseling is how often... Uh, and it was worded once this way. How often should an evangelical couple have sex? Uh, and, I, and the response is, well, compared to other world religions, I have no idea. <laughs> but I recommend that you increase the frequency. It should be something that, that we should enjoy on a regular basis. And online, there's going to be, this again comes from another church that they have put together. Um, we've kind of tweaked it a little bit. But there's going to be, for married couples only, there's going to be a list of 52 questions for you, as you take your annual abandon, to take these questions. Don't let your kids see them. Um, but there's just general questions about about uh, sex. And then there's questions about frequency, endurance, and performance for you and your partner to work through. And what I want you to do, what I hope you do, is sit down with that list personally and circle any questions that you're just not comfortable talking about. But then go on your annual abandon. Take it on a date night and have that conversation with your spouse that you would begin to enjoy one another Uh, I I skipped over a verse earlier in Ecclesiastes, and I want us to to go back to Ecclesiastes 7. It says uh, this. It says, Go eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already, for you Baptists, you can say sparkling cider. Um, Drink your sparkling cider with a cheerful heart. For God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and never let oil be lacking on your head. He's saying, look, you should be festive. You should enjoy life. Enjoy life with the wife you love. All the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun, all your fleeting days, for that is your portion in life, in all your struggle under the sun. Let's leave this verse up here. The point of Ecclesiastes is this. Life is hard. It's toilsome. It's difficult. But God has given you food. He's given you drink. And he's given you your spouse to enjoy. I think it's time we start enjoying our spouses. I think it's time we start enjoying all the things that God has blessed us with. Uh, so I, I have something uh, in in that 52 questions for the annual abandon. Um, we have a couple resources there listed for couples, some books that we want to recommend, but I want to recommend one to parents because sex is not the devil's playground. And it is something that we ought we to paint a good picture for our kids uh, of what it is and what God has designed it to be. So Couple books that I want to recommend. My wife actually is the one who said you ought to recommend these books. One is How and When to Tell Your Kids About Sex, and it actually comes with four companion books. Um, it starts with the story of me, and then it goes to. Uh, and this is for ages three to five. We waited till our kids were a little bit on the older end for this one, and then there's another one before I was born, ages five to eight, and then uh, Facing the Facts, ages eleven to fourteen. Or excuse me, uh, What's the big deal? Why God cares about sex, ages 8 to 11, and then facing the facts, ages 11 to 14. Parents, it's not too early to start talking about your kids. In fact, as my wife started reading through this, she said most of this deals with like before they're five and how we start having that conversation to talk to them about what's appropriate, what their bodies, how God has designed their bodies. It shouldn't be an awkward one-time conversation that we have. We definitely want to paint a beautiful picture for them. The other one that I want to recommend to you guys is called The Language of Sex. Again, this is just a way for you and your spouse to start having that conversation. And I'm just curious, is there a couple brave enough to say, hey, we're going to plan an annual abandon, and we want to take this book and read it before we go? Anybody brave enough to say that? Anybody? All right. John, thank you so much in the back. Come on down, buddy. Come on down. Give him a hand. Brave enough to say, hey, we're going to have this conversation. There you go. Yes, sir. (laughs) <laughs> don't go into too much detail. I don't need to know that much. My prayer for you guys is that you would begin enjoying the spouse you love. That you would begin enjoying one another. That you would prioritize these daily, daily delays, the weekly withdrawal, and the annual abandon. And that we would see how it makes a difference in our marriages. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have blessed us with spouse Spouses to love. Um, Lord, we thank you for those who have already come around and begun being good backup singers. Um, We pray, Lord, as we continue on our date nights, that it would signal to those around us that as a church, we prioritize marriage. We believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for life, and we are committed to doing whatever we can to strengthen our marriage and to strengthen the marriages around us. Lord, we ask and we pray for the marriages that are hurting this morning. Lord, where only one spouse is connected to you as the true and only source of life. Father, we ask for healing. We ask for those marriages to be resurrected. We pray for those that are here, and uh, Father, their time has not yet come, and you have not uh, blessed them with a spouse. Would we ask that, that as they wait, that you would help us uh, to walk with them, to help paint a beautiful picture of what marriage is. And we pray for the little ones that are in in Sunday school right now. We ask that you would help us to have marriages worth repeating, that they would look around this church and they would say, I see that marriage and I want that when I grow up. I want my marriage to be like that. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.